Welcome to How I Did It, where coders, philanthropy and social capital team find out how successful leaders do what they do in the world of philanthropy and social leadership. You're listening to David Knowles, partner at Coder Capital and head of Coder's philanthropy and social capital team. My guest in this episode is Ronnie Kahn, who spent nearly 20 years on a kibbutz before moving to Australia, where she founded Oz Harvest, Australia's leading food rescue organisation. Over the last 14 years, Oz Harvest has delivered over 45 million meals to people in need through around 1,000 local charities. As CEO, Ronnie recently oversaw the opening of Australia's first rescued food supermarket, and the Oz Harvest model has recently been expanded into the UK through UK Harvest with the help of Jamie Oliver and the Duchess of Cornwall. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Ronnie and what Ronnie has to say as much as I did. Welcome, Ronnie, or I should say um, thank you for having me, seeing as we're in um, the nerve centre of Oz Harvest. It's a pleasure. The first thing I noticed when I came in is there's two things happening. There's a sense of energy and a a happy sense. Absolutely. But there's also, which I wasn't quite expecting, a sense of very quiet industriousness. Everyone seems to know what they're doing. They've got plenty to do. Is that how it is here? I think that you're spot on. I think that absolutely every single person here is here because they know why they're here, they know what they've got to do, and they've chosen to be here. So there absolutely is the energy around purpose, around giving, and around meaning, actually, because it's they're here because they want to do more than just have a job. Yeah, and they know why they're here, but in preparing to have the conversation with you today, one of the things that came through to me was that this wasn't where you saw yourself. So if you're sat here today, you're you're in your office, which incidentally I noticed you've not picked as the best office. I think there's probably a better one out the front there. But um, you wouldn't have presumably imagined yourself sitting here, having done what you've done in the last 12 years or so, with an army of people, mountains of food that you've saved, millions of meals that you've delivered, international expansion, all sorts of things like that. Did, did you ever so imagine true. anything like this? No, 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 absolutely not. I never, I never grew up thinking I'd start a charity. Uh, if you'd asked me 15 years ago, I would have said that's crazy. 14 years ago was was when that transition and this notion started taking place, and it took a year to set up our harvest, but completely quite honestly left field and each and every day not only do I wake up with gratitude but I wake up pinching myself that that I actually am in this extraordinary position. So why do you think, if you didn't plan it, why do you think you're here? I think, well, it's clearly my destiny and that's an interesting notion so and we could destiny? discuss yeah, we'll that. that yeah. <laughs> but I'm here definitely because I'm meant to be here but because... In the journey of living a life, one goes through different periods in their life. And the point that I reached when I was looking for purpose and meaning was because I had discovered that actually just making money or just living for more possessions and bigger houses didn't quite work just didn't fill my soul. And luckily for me, I realized that actually purpose and meaning might do that 
as opposed to just always needing more and more and more. What, so what, can, what do you think you can tell people about how that happened? Because I think there are, I was going to say millions, it could be in the billions of people yeah. who have that sense that the materialistic life and the constant acquisition, it's not for them. Or, you know, that life in a bank or a building society. But you had that realisation and you realised that meaning and purpose but then you did something about it. Most people don't. Most people are stuck yeah. in that first place. Yeah. What, what was different for you? Well, I think most of us are very fearful. Fearful of the commitments we have. I mean, over the last 13 years, I've, I've had thousands of people tell me one day, one day they're going to go and do something, one day when they've paid their mortgage, mm. when they've retired, when they're at their pensions, when mm. they've finished doing the things but it but at some point every single one of us has to realize that actually one day is all we have and that is this one and so for me I did I you're right it's quite hard to articulate there certainly were certain actions and things that happened in my life leading up to that year 14 years ago most of them were about recalibrating, rechecking in, re-evaluating what was important to me. And the things that had driven me to reach that point, which were looking after my family, making sure we did have security. And security did not mean I'd made millions. Security did not mean I did not have right. to work because I worked full-time in my business for the first seven years of Oz Harvest. Oh, I you? only became right. the full-time CEO, you know. So this was the events business? Yeah, right. my so events business. you did business. them both side by side? I did because I never started Oz Harvest because I was a rich, bored housewife yeah. or because I had nothing to do and too much money. Yeah. What I knew was that we actually will never believe we have enough. Yeah. Every house we buy, we want the more expensive house. Every time we buy one pair of shoes, actually the next day, the next pair calls. Yeah. So at some point, we actually have to look down, look in. And, and for me, I was fortunate enough to reach that point and actually decide, what am I going to do about it? Instead of going into a place of depression or misery mm. or you know, n- not taking action. Yeah, or taking a different type of action, which I think a lot of people do, which is yeah. to look away from that reality and then start to just buy more stuff or do Absolutely. this or have Absolutely. that. Absolutely, find satisfaction in things that are actually fleeting Yeah. because they keep searching and you keep looking and yeah. you keep... And quite honestly, it didn't take me long to know that actually giving is just so much more precious, mm. valuable, enriching than getting is. Yeah, to give is and, to receive. Yeah, and so suddenly, so I don't say to everybody out there, go and start a charity, because I just happened to be really fortunate to find a niche that there was a gap, mm. and I needed it filled, and that's often a clue, and I say to people, one of the ways to find your meaning and purpose, perhaps, is if there's something that affects you deeply all the time and you keep saying, why doesn't somebody fix it? Mm. 
maybe there's a problem you can fix that would also make a difference there's to your other answer. people. Yeah. That's one of the answers. For now, yeah. it has to be that it makes a difference to other people. Mm. You know, I guess creating a new a new useless item doesn't have the same fulfillment as creating something yeah. that does touch, shift and change lives. But but I don't know why I didn't just continue volunteering. I'd been doing different volunteering things along the way, never consistently. Yeah. My mother had died of cancer. I could have gone into the Cancer Council and said, mm-hmm. use me, but this called me. And this was a problem. But at the time that I started it, I had no idea that this would also be a huge environmental impact. What I wanted to do was take the food that I saw and feed hungry people. I didn't know there were three million hungry people in Mm. Australia. I didn't know that a third of all food goes to waste. I didn't know that it was a, a problem that was costing Australia that costs us today $20 billion a year didn't take me long to start putting two and two together Mm. because by fixing my problem I knew there were other people who had the same problem as me and that's how it and where I was also incredibly fortunate is and I say fortunate because I wasn't lucky I built this I didn't it wasn't by chance it was by design but um, I chose I chose an issue that I actually didn't have to teach anybody that the result of what I was doing was going to make a difference and Mm. a benefit. Somebody in your family said to you, eat your food because there's someone starving somewhere. We all Mm. have grown up with that. So I just tapped into a universal truth. Mm. And in a way, I think that's really what's been the beauty Mm. the attraction mm. and the ongoing um, fascination yeah. with us and the secret source yeah but but it's um not but and you've got this idea that there's it, it's very simple it looks you, very simple but, but <laughs> you education is such a huge part of it isn't it so oh, you, totally. there is a big edu- in a different way a really big education component how do you think about that yeah so what happened was a core starting position, mine. There is food, feed hungry people. When I started realizing the scale of the problem, two things became apparent. I have to help the hungry people to learn how to manage food because what I'm giving them is, is a product that might end. And then realizing how big a problem food waste was, I want to bring that challenge down. So that meant if I'm going to produce a supply of beautiful food, then what I have to do is upskill people. So that education pillar became a hugely important. But then it became important to understand why we waste food. So then we need to educate us, consumers. And so education is the key to changing behavior. It's the hardest thing to do. But it is the key. And, you know, I was incredibly fortunate, privileged. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I was honoured and given an honorary doctorate from Queensland uh, Griffith University and was asked to give an address. Mm. And 
you start thinking about a whole range of things because I talk all the time about whether it's leadership, whether it's this, but mm. I was talking to 500 or 700 youngish, mostly people who had just graduated from their first degree or their second degree. And, and really, education. So, so why am I mentioning it? Because in digging deep, I suddenly thought about my family. My grandfather came, um, fled Russia when he was 14, just under 14, because otherwise he was going to be conscripted to the army. And there was a lot of anti-Semitism. We were Jewish. And so his family put him, put him on the road and by himself, he fled, and it took three years, and he arrived in South Africa at the age of 17. Very little English, but with a burning desire to become a doctor. And the person who met him there said, don't be ridiculous, of course you can't become a doctor, because you don't have English, nor do you have time, you have to start earning a living. And he gave up on his dream to become a doctor, but he became a successful farmer, and he had four children, one son and three daughters. And 75 years ago, 80 years ago, all of his four children were sent to university. Doctor, different professions. So the point is, education is intrinsically embedded in my genes. Mm. But looking at what our one of our education programs for vulnerable people, we take disadvantaged youth from the agencies we support between 15 and 25, we take um, about 40 twice a year because we now run this program in three states, um, 40 kids. And, and seeing what putting them through a six-month Cert 1 and 2 hospitality training, but really life skill training, because these are kids who've never had any positive learning experience. Seeing what it does to give people confidence, give people the ability to think and to manage their lives in a different way, and the skills to go out and get a job, breaking that cycle of intergenerational poverty. You know, that's kind of what motivates me today, knowing yeah. that we're doing that for those kids. But education has become a huge part of what Oz Harvest does. Most people wouldn't even know that about us. Mm. What they first and foremost see is, wow, yeah. rescuing food, 75 million meals, 50 vehicles, transport and logistics company. That's really what yeah. I run. Yeah. Now, I'm interested in um, what you said about destiny. Mm. I, I've kind of gone away from believing in destiny as I got older yeah. and more in the idea that you can create your own, oh. and you, if you get out and do things. But you... Well, when I observe you, you've done both. So on the one hand, yeah. you're saying destiny. The other hand, I can see ways that you could trace back. You, you could trace where you are now back to things. Yeah. Even I didn't realise that in the family you were from farmers. That's great, given the story. And, yeah. and um, But, you know, that struggle and going out on the road and, and you know, the determination and create, creating a life. So I could see all these things could feed into it and you could say it's all part of your destiny. But at the same time, you said a few minutes ago, I did it by design. I yeah. uh, didn't know it would end up here, but you've done things in a very purposeful way with yeah. your background as events planner. You've got to be really organised. You've got to yeah. know what you're going to do and tick all the boxes. Yeah. So just t tell me a bit more about destiny against that kind of backdrop. Okay. Well, I think that if our head and our heart aren't connected and if there isn't a spiritual element to leadership, 
<laughs> I think that there is something fundamental missing. Mm. So for me, destiny is absolutely both what we're destined for, but how we fulfill that destiny. And so if I think back on the 13 or 14 years, I've never questioned. What I've questioned is not why am I here, but wow, how do I, how do I use every skill that I've got to fulfill this path. So I never, when I started Ice Harvest, I had no doubt that it would succeed. It never occurred to me that it would fail. And so fear is such a crippling emotion. Yeah. And so I believe that intuition and tapping into the values and the confidence most of us have lost our confidence, whether it's to choose an item, to choose a, a bottle of milk. We've lost our confidence. We need a date written on it. And then we throw it away on the date. We don't smell it. We don't mm. taste it. That's what my grandmother did. It's what your grandmother did. We, we've been told we can't do that anymore. And we believed somebody. Yeah. And so I guess I'm a combination of woo-woo hippies <laughs> talking about destiny and spiritualism and talking about the very real corporate world of managing. But I think that the combination of both is what has made Oz Harvest so compelling. Yeah. Right from the beginning, it was about the value proposition of what we can bring. And are you saying that... Um, Fear stops you from achieving things. Well, that's almost Absolutely. a no-brainer. But um, are you saying that um, the key to overcoming fear, if you experience it, is to line up the head and the heart? That's that's what that's one way people can actually find their way to you know what's right for them and do do good things. Yes, because in some way we've also lost our confidence in our intuition, and you know all those expressions, gut reaction. You know, I felt it in my gut. The, those are real. Yeah. And, and, and yet, it's been negated as, oh, you know, we must rule from the heart, from the head. Mm. Well, I don't think the head is the only place. Mm. Everything, you know, I look at us as a holistic human being, mm. both from a medical point of view, but also from a functional point of view. And we often feel things. And when we negate that then we're not listening to every element of how we could be functioning as a whole human being. Can I just talk about risk? An yeah. Another way to achieve things is, is to take risk. Just earlier this week, um, <clears throat> I did a, a, an event where um, Tony Stewart, the CEO of UNICEF, chair of the advisory board for the Charities Commissioner, spoke, and he said that one of the things he believes is that if you don't take a risk, you can't really have that much impact. <clears throat> so risk is always there, but risks have to be taken. Um, how, how have you done that when you apply that to Oz Harvest? Because I'll just say one more thing before you answer it. There is a, a natural conservatism and a, and a risk aversion in the charitable and non-profit sector. Yeah. 
you don't strike me as a typical organisation that respect. Can you tell us about how you've thought about risk? Yeah, we, we're absolutely atypical. And we are not part of the non-profit sector. I don't even call us that. Yeah. I've never heard... Nobody likes it. Ernst & Young. I've never heard Dell. I've never heard Google or Microsoft call themselves a not-for-loss. So why yeah. should we be a not-for-profit? We are a for-impact or a for-purpose. Yeah. Um, and absolute, look, the biggest risk was starting an organization that rescued food when everybody said you couldn't. How could you take used food? How could you take food that mm. had been pre-prepared? How could you take fresh produce and deliver it? So we've disrupted, and I, before the word disruption mm. was vomitous, <laughs> <laughs> but taking risk, you know, whether it's taking risk in, in personal relationships, unless you're willing to put yourself out there and take a risk, then you cannot grow. You cannot... I would rather experience pain and heartache and make a mistake than not go out and attempt mm. something that could be magni magnificently, humongously beautiful. But you've got to go over your fear, haven't you? I think, yeah. I think I might be wrong here, but I think it's Plato's cave allegory where the person in this little dark cave yeah. ultimately feels safer there because there's yeah. this bright light that comes through the very yeah. narrow entrance, yeah. but they're so afraid to go and approach that and what might be out there, they never actually step out the side the cave and experience you know, the rest of the world and the sunshine. So... Um, yeah. So there's something in that, isn't it? But you're so. I I think that if we could embed in every one of us, the fact that we are all leaders with or without a title. Yeah. There's a beautiful book called Leaders Without Titles, and I can't remember the name, but it's the same dude that wrote something about his Ferrari. Um, <laughs> again, about finding purpose and meaning. Yeah. But the truth is, seriously, until you think of yourself as a leader. And, and it, it isn't about the title. It's about mm. taking responsibility. And if you take responsibility for something, it does mean taking risk. Because otherwise, the safe things will not shift or change. No. I'm not even talking about the world. They're not even going to shift or change a relationship. They're not going to shift or change the way we do business on a day-to-day -day basis. And so, so I firmly believe and yes I'm a huge risk taker mm. <laughs> and there are all sorts of new exciting things coming up for us harvest and they're risky but I'd rather try them and fail than not have tried them because I was too scared of failure yeah it's a, it's a, and it's a it's a reversal of the normal way of thinking that you do those things once you're a leader and once you've got the title and then you can go away and take the big decisions. But you take, you're saying you, you, you've taken the big decisions and you end up being a leader and you've got the title CEO and founder. So it's, you went out and did it first, which is, I, I find really interesting because, um, was it Anne, Anne Frank? Yes. What was the quote? It was something along the lines of how wonderful it is that nobody has to wait a single minute to go out and improve the world. Absolutely. But you got to take that. You got to be take that first step and do something, haven't you? Yeah. But as a leader, so I'm, I'll share a story with you. So one of our, one of the embedded rules of Oz Harvest is, and and when I started Oz Harvest, this was a commitment I made to local council, yeah. 
that what our purpose and what we do is we rescue food and deliver it to the charitable organizations yeah. out there. We don't take food and give it to people on the street yeah. because we don't know what their requirements are, we don't know what they need, and that by bringing good food to organizations, maybe that'll be the magnet that attracts them to go there and then they get more services. Food is the magnet and then yeah. you can support and help people. Yeah. One of our kids that came into the Nourish program, um, when I said to him, so tell me, where did you, did you know about us Harvest, apart from the fact that you've been connected to a place? He said, yeah, well, when I was sleeping rough, sometimes I'd find a little food parcel next to me from Oz Harvest. So I called all my drivers in and I said, I want to share something with you. So as you know, our rule is we deliver food to charitable organizations. But here's what I want to tell you. I want to congratulate the person who broke those rules. <laughs> and what I want to tell you is when you need to break the, that rule, you break it. Now, I don't know if that's an example of empowerment, but for me, it's about saying to people, you do what you think is right. Yeah. For the cause, for the right reason. Yeah. And understand the ramifications of it. But it's about giving people leadership. Well, it's, it's connecting the head and the heart again, isn't it? Because yeah. um, is what I hear when you say that is you're saying to them, if, if it feels right in the heart and you, you, know, you do it. You see somebody who's begging you and hungry and you've got a van full of food. Give them yeah. food. Yeah. That's... Don't say, I'm sorry, I can't give you any food. Or say, jump in the van, come with me to there and you'll get it there. That's Whatever. Because right, the rules say that. But, but use your common sense. Yeah. You know? So um, what about... We're getting close to what in corporate language would be called corporate culture. And it's one of those areas, isn't it, where there's an awful lot of hot air and yeah. people talk about culture. And I'll tell you, uh, uh, the firm I, I work with, Coda, we're three years old, just over, and culture's been important from day one and we have symbols and we constantly reinforce it and we have take days out where the whole team gets together and we talk about the importance of culture. And so we're, we're really paying attention to it and trying to make sure we have the best culture we can. I suspect your approach might be a bit different, but how how do you, what can you teach corporates about culture? It. We don't talk it, we live it. Right, so how do you live it? Because we, 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 we talk live. about that, it's what yeah. you do, culture's what, what you do, you isn't do. it? It's the values. So you walk into my building and there is a sign that's hard to miss that says our purpose is to nourish our country. There isn't a single person who comes through our walls who works for us in any way that doesn't know that our purpose is to nourish our country we have we rescue food we educate we engage and we innovate and our purpose the reason we exist is to service other people and to make a difference mm -hmm. and that's what we're here for and that is why every single person here is embedded in our culture yeah. our culture is living your values yeah living in integrity and authenticity don't come and tell me you need to spend $5,000 on something that ultimately won't make a difference. Right. It's, a, it's you, I don't do lessons on culture. No. We haven't had a meeting 
on culture, but we have a meeting on how we're feeling, on how many people are we making a difference to? Mm. How are we making a difference to people? Mm. Are we engaging with our wider community? Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Mm. But then also um, you might get people who come to you and say, hi, I'd like, I'd like some money for this, or and ask those, those oh, totally. And we've got practical to, questions. Listen, we run a business. Yeah, You've absolutely. got to spend money on pens yeah. and paper. Yeah. So how do you keep reinforcing it? Because as I say, it's what you do. Is it... Is it different now for you as the CEO of so many staff um, to how it was in the early days where you might be working next to that person, you just do the doing and they and they see how you do it? Yeah. So first of all, I still do the doing. Yes, yeah. I've got masses of staff, but if sleeves need to be... Next week we need to be... Everyone's volunteering because Woolworths is doing a campaign and we need 400 volunteers on Saturday the 9th and Sunday the 10th of December... In every Woolworth store, we can have yellow people. Um, just being there, talking, if anyone asks, talking about us harvest. Mm. But Woolworths is, is selling a 50 cent little token for mm. Christmas that you can buy a meal for someone in need. Right. Well, of course I'll be one of those people yeah. on the floor. Yeah. You know, it just wouldn't occur to me not to. We do have a new structure. So when I started, I drove the van and I'd pick up the phone, and I still do. Sometimes I'll pick up the phone if no one answers, and mm. then you'll hear somebody stammer on the other side, well, what, what do you mean it's Ronnie? And I say, well, it's Ronnie. How can I help you? Who did you want to speak with? Oh, you know, because why wouldn't I? How could I expect anybody to do what I wouldn't do? And so whilst we now have a new structure, and yes, I have a management team, which I didn't have before, of course. And But again... You, I choose people for their attitudes yeah. and so then their skills. I'm so glad because you Because you can learn skills, but you can't learn attitude. Do you know and that was one of the things I was going to talk... Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, no, one of the things good. I was going to talk to you about is um, as the team around you has grown, you know, how important is it to have that diversity of thought, the right attitude? It's something I've been talking a lot to um, people that are in leadership positions in charities particularly... You need to get the right people with the right mm. attitudes and the right perspectives and a diversity of thought and perspectives. That's very different from saying you need to get someone who's got this qualification or this skill. So is that is that something you believe in? I totally believe. Mm. If they have the right skills and not the right attitude, I don't want them on board. Yeah. I, and and we've we've made mistakes. We've hired people who weren't mm. who weren't right and we've had to say thank you so much. We think you're awesome at what you do, but doesn't culturally you don't fit with us. Yeah, so that's totally. so that's the again that's where the culture comes in, right? Where you say, yeah. well, we're clear on. I really believe, and I love what you say about that. You really focus and start with purpose. So you're really clear about why you're here, and that never goes away. And that's kind of touchstone almost, I imagine. Yep. And then out of that, you know the kind of people that will fit, yeah. and and. The cultural test is probably more important than any other when you look Absolutely. to work with people. Absolutely. We're a family. This is a yeah. close-knit family. And we're in an extraordinary fortunate position whilst you can't, in a normal family, you don't choose who's in your family. In this family, we get to choose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we like to choose the people who resonate, connect. And it doesn't mean that we've 
every single person in this organization is bright, smiley, energetic like me, but they have the core belief and the understanding of what it is that we're here to fulfill, and then we look at their skills. Tell me a little bit about the future. You said... um, Cryptically, there's a lot of exciting things you might yeah. be able to talk about, but there's things like the, you know, the, the international stuff in the UK, the UK yeah. harvest, and yeah. then there's the the res- the food uh, rescued food supermarket here. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess for me, it's all about. So the global growth has really been quite incidental. Mm. Incidental in that, what we have is a replicable model. Yeah. And if people put up their hands, find the money, and want us to share that model. That's what we're happy to do. So that's why we've done it in the UK. That's why we've done it in New Zealand. We're doing it in South Africa. Um, In Thailand, we've taught an organization and we've been partnering with them to be able to use our model. So that's, so, you know, we didn't go to the most third world country and target, and we might, but we haven't done that Mm. yet. We've gone where there was a convergence of of right elements yeah. to make us go there. The supermarket, absolutely purposeful, absolutely designed. Not everybody goes to a charity and has a beautiful experience. Not everybody who needs to go goes because it's a humiliating thing to say, I need help. Yeah. A free supermarket, anybody can come in. Mm. And it actually the way it's functioned has been beautiful and we've learned so much. And we've been given, it was a pop-up, but we've been given the space for another year. And we'll now look at how we can replicate this around the country. I love the, I think it's on the doors outside. Uh, and Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's um, take what you need, give what you can. Is that right? Give if you give can. Give if you can. That's yeah. the point. Right. It's not what. It's if. Right. Not everybody can. Yeah. And if you also noticed... You have to walk through a heart to get into that supermarket. On either side of the door are two sides of a heart. Mm. That's what this is about. It's about love. I mean, quite honestly, without love, our world is nothing. Yeah. So so that the global expansion is really, we've got people coming from the U.S. I've said to them, there are a thousand programs in the U.S., Go and do your due diligence. I don't know why you want ours. They come back and said, we have checked. There's nothing like us harvest. We want the culture. We want the energy. We want mm. the feel. We want the brand. And so they're coming to do two weeks induction. We'll see what that happens. And Fantastic. I've said to them, go find the money. This is what you're going to need. You're going to need money. You're going to need this. You're going to need that. And they're still coming. So, <laughs> And because of the supermarket, we have about 50 countries who would like us to go there so yeah. that is just on ice and yeah. how we manage wow. that but um, one of the things that as we've grown it becomes apparent that to me that for the sustainability of our harvest you know when in my first year I needed $675,000 to to run a couple of vehicles and build the organisation and now I need $12 million a year, and that's philanthropically funded. Mm. So, of course, what we're now looking at setting up is a completely new company, a social enterprise, a B Corp, yep. that will Correct. generate profit, and all profit will come to Us Harvest yeah. to support the ongoing 
that is very much an emerging way of making organisations like this sustainable, isn't it? Yeah. Again, it sounds very... So we've already inside got a couple of social enterprises, Mm. but now I'm actually setting up a new for-profit... Yeah. Profit um, with purpose. Profit with purpose business. And just um, fine-tuning what the product, you know, what it is that we're going to be selling in that business yeah. so that we can generate funds. So that's the exciting thing. And what have you learned through having these different stages? A lot of, um, I'm asking that question on behalf of others, mm-hmm. there are many, many leaders in the space, the for-purpose sector, let's call it, who are trying to scale their businesses to have greater impact uh, and who are trying to attract funding, uh, sustainable funding, and who are maybe thinking about impact investment and social enterprise. Mm-hmm. The, the, these things all require different skills. They, they mm-hmm. involve risk, dealing with loads of different people who might operate in different ways. How have you approached that or, or, or any secrets? Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, so first of all, the it. biggest secret, my biggest secret is I am surrounded by brilliant people. Mm-hmm. So I look wonderful. <laughs> I bring fabulous people who are much smarter than me and they are. <laughs> they manage to support what it is we do. Um, so whilst most leaders are trying to scale up their businesses, my purpose is to put ourselves out of business. What it means is I want to reduce food waste. So we work, we're now very much involved in advocacy, working with our government, yeah. getting disappointed by our government, and then bashing them over the head and starting all over again. So that's one aspect mm. of what Sounds we like do. Fun. Yeah, that's one aspect of what we do. The second is, again, with a goal to put ourselves out of business. I don't want to be the biggest food rescue organization in the world. I want to be the organization that minimizes food waste and teaches people how to cook and look after themselves and purchase food and find a way to grow, get and empower themselves. Which is, again, is great. I almost feel like I stand corrected now because, of course, that's why organisations like this, charities as well as social enterprises, they exist to yeah, but, solve the problem, not to, not to maintain them themselves don't. and grow. Most of them don't. Yeah. Look at the hundred-year-old organisations that yeah. have just got bigger and bigger and servicing more people. Mm-hmm. It's insane. We should not be... We have to break that cycle. It's we, not a measure of success, is it? To me, it's yeah. not a measure of success Size. to now be a $100 million charity and servicing 10 million people. Why did you not put things in place to help the people look after themselves? Mm. And so, look, it, you know, it, might, it was not going to happen in my lifetime, perhaps, but what I'm... What, I'm completely committed to is, well, by 2030, we will have halved food waste in Australia. That I've got our government to commit to that. They're not putting any resources to it. But I've got 13 years, and we're going to get there. It sounds fantastic. <clears throat> I'm going to finish one yeah. final question. Say, so if you had to walk away tomorrow and someone else came and sat in your chair over there, what would be the one thing you'd say from 14 years and, and a whole life's experience? What, what, what would be the one message you'd want to give them? Listen to your people. Stay connected to your people and acknowledge your people. Great. <laughs> Thank you very much. A pleasure. I think, I'll, I think people will be fascinated by um, 
what you've said and it's inspiration as well. I love the spiritual side of it as well. I think we need more more of that and um, authenticity too. And obviously you have that in spades. Congratulations on everything you've done and very best of luck for everything you plan to do in the future. Or maybe you don't plan to do. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. That's it for this episode of How I Did It. For more from Coda, visit codacapital.com or email philanthropy at codacapital.com.